Hello and welcome to a vacation classic edition of No Wrong Choices hosted by the fellas. Tushar Sexina, Larry Shea, and I, Larry Samuels, are currently off working on season three until just after Labor Day. So in the interim, we thought it'd be fun to, to share some old interviews from our Sirius XM show, The Fellas. Now that show is a little bit different than what we're doing now as it was super sports heavy, but we dug into many career journeys along the way, which was the inspiration for No Wrong Choices. We'll lead in with two and I speaking with the late Hall of Famer Tony Gwynn, who opened up about a lot of stuff, including what it was like to play and then coach during the steroid era. This was a really interesting conversation. If you enjoy what you hear, please be sure to subscribe or follow No Wrong Choices on your podcasting platform of choice and to seek us out on the web and social media by searching for No Wrong Choices. Here is Tony Gwynn, courtesy of Sirius XM, speaking with Tushar and I leading into the 2006 MLB All-Star Game weekend. Welcome back to the fellows on Sirius Sports Action 123, along with Tushar Saxena. I'm Larry Samuels, and joining us on the telephone is a man who I think knows a thing or two about All-Star Weekends. I'm referring to 15-time All-Star Tony Gwynn. Tony, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're great. Are you out in Pittsburgh now? Hey, I am. How is uh, life right now in Pittsburgh? I know you're at the convention center. Yeah, they're, they're getting excited. I think the Fan Fest is packed. Uh, I signed autographs earlier. There was so many people in line. We ran out of pictures and stuff. I'm not surprised. I mean, you know, you're one of the most beloved guys. I got to be honest. This is an absolute pleasure for me to have an opportunity to speak to you. You're one of my favorite all-time players. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, Tony, I got to ask, I mean, uh, you know, you've been a member of so many all-star teams, so many all-star weekends. Is it still somewhat special now being outside of the game, seeing it from uh, a fan's perspective? Uh, it's, it's still, I, I've been excited for a whole week about coming to Pittsburgh. <laughs> love the whole experience. Uh, uh, you know, 23 all-star guys making it for the first time. I'm sure they're going to feel just like I felt my first one. No matter what you've done in the first half, you just don't believe you belong in the all-star clubhouse. And it's, and it's the veterans of those all-star teams. It's their job to make sure that those young guys feel like they belong. And by the end, I'm sure they'll they'll remember this for the rest of their lives. Trust me. It's just the all-star game was always special to me, and it didn't matter if you were starting or coming off the bench or or were injured. You know, I was always here. So, uh, and I think fans here are getting pretty excited. They the last one here in '94 was as good an all-star atmosphere as you can imagine, and I'm sure it's going to be the same way here on Tuesday. We're talking to 15-time All-Star and future Hall of Famer Tony Gwynn right here on the Fellas. Lock and, Hall of Famer. I, I don't mean to jinx you, Tony. Hopefully I didn't screw things up for you. Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'll wait, I wait for that call. You know, everybody's been saying that for me, you know, when I was my last few years in the big leagues and now since I've been retired and, and you know, to get to where we are now, you know, the, I'll either get a phone call in January or I won't, you know, and i just kind of kind of anxious because, you know, you play the game as long as I played. Uh, obviously, the Hall of Fame would be the crown jewel of all of it. And uh, and so when January comes, man, I, I hope the phone rings. <laughs> I'm sure it will. E- even I can't screw this up for you. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, you know, you mentioned before memories and how a lot of the players are, you know, going to do some pretty cool things that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. As a player, what were some of your great all-star moments? Uh, well, that first year, walking in that clubhouse, like I described, I mean, my locker was between Ozzie Smith and Mike Schmidt. Oh, man. And it, it just petrified. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? Into that clubhouse. And those guys put their arm around me and said, you know what, you belong. This is Congratulations, you, you've played great here in the first half, and you belong here. And so 
I kind of always remembered that, and so as the years went by and young guys were making it for the first time, I would make sure I went up to them and told them the same thing. And so um, that one sticks out. The game here in 94 in Pittsburgh, because uh, it's, I played in 15 All-Star games, that's the only one I actually did anything in. You know, I <laughs> knocked in a couple of runs, scored a run, I played the whole game, and I ended up um, I ended up scoring the winning run of the game. You know, we had to lead early. Freddie McGriff hit a home run to get us to give us even a chance to win late in the game, and we ended up winning it in ten or eleven, I think. And so, um, you know, playing here in Pittsburgh, playing in San Diego, being the hometown guy, that was a lot of fun. Uh, meeting Ted Williams at that one, the one in Fenway, where yeah, I remember um, that one. You know, the the Hall of Famers and. Ted Williams were, were honored before the game. That one uh, really sticks out because the atmosphere was electric again. But uh, uh, playing-wise, Pittsburgh's about the only game where I, I really did some things. <laughs> Other than that, uh, just the whole experience of coming. I always looked forward to coming and, and just being a part of it because it was always a lot of fun. And and uh, for a while there, it was like the closest I was going to get to a playoff or World Series for a long time. And Unfortunately. Then, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. But then at the end, I mean, you know, went to the playoffs a couple of times, went to the World Series again. So, um, but the All Star experience has always been one I look forward to. Tony, which was more special to you personally, your first All Star game or the last one? I think the last one, really, because you know, I I I'd let people know I was going to retire, and you know, I wasn't picked to be on the squad. But you know, they, the the Major League Baseball invited Cal Ripken and I to come and. And, uh, you know, it's funny because you play, I played 20 years and I never really, you know, I never really got caught up in all the fanfare stuff. You know, you just, you just play, you do what you do and you feel good about what you do and that's it. And I, I, it still amazes me that, you know, people still remember who I am. People remember what I did. Oh, please. And I'm serious. (laughs) To be honored like I was in Seattle, got a standing ovation and, and, you know, guys imploring me to play, to get out there, taking it bat. And unfortunately, my knee was shot, and I, I, I really couldn't. But uh, looking back on it, yeah, Seattle's probably probably more special than the first one. You no, know, Tony, it's, it's, it's great talking to somebody who, you know, you were such a great player, and you get it, and you understand the appreciation that, that the fans had for you. And really what set you apart from a lot of the other guys is that you always came across as a very fan-friendly player. He was a nice guy. He was one of the genuine nice guys of the game. Exactly. And that's why it's such a pleasure to speak with you and see all these accolades get thrown on you, because you weren't one of the, the, the affected people, so to speak. Well, yeah. I, I Like I said, I, I learned early on, and it's funny, I had a bunch of great teachers in my locker room <laughs> in San Diego. I had Greg Nettles who was my locker mate on my right, Steve Garvey was on my left, and I you know, got a chance to pick their brains early in my career, and they really taught me some things about you know, how to handle stuff, how to deal with stuff. You, know, you realize early on that everybody wasn't going to love you. You, know, you. you get comfortable with what you do and how you do it, and you know, try to go through, through, go through life with a smile on your face. Try to let people know you're enjoying doing what you're doing. And I did. I, I, I loved going to work every day and I loved going out and trying to perform and, and trying to perform at a level that, uh, you know, the, the best ones performed at, but I didn't let it go to my head. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. a baseball player, you know? And so for 20 years, that's what I did. Now I'm coaching. So now I'm on the other <laughs> side of it. And it's, it's those lessons that you learned that I learned those first 20 years have really helped me here in these last five years being a coach, because, 
uh, kids want to get to the same point I got to. And and I tell them, you, you need to understand that when you sign your name on the dotted line, there's more to it than just getting a check and playing baseball. There's responsibilities that come with it. And if you aren't willing to deal with those responsibilities, you're not going to be – you're not going to be that be as good a player as you can be because in order to be one of the better players, you got to be able to handle all this stuff. And so, um, and some guys don't believe me until they actually sign their name on the dotted line. And I then can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, they find out what it's really like. But uh, again, the whole major league experience for me was an awesome one, and 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 now that I'm coaching, it's awesome. And when they give me a chance to come back to these all-star games, man, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm <laughs> on the first flight and trying to get here. <laughs> hey, Tony, you mentioned a moment ago that you're a coach now, and for those who may not know out there, uh, Tony Gwynn is the current uh, manager, skipper, head baseball coach for San Diego State University. How ironic that Mr. Padre, Mr. San Diego State in San Diego, and that's where he's coaching. Um, a former alum as well, you know, one of the former right. Aztec greats as well. Hey, so, Tony, I gotta ask, I mean, and I'd be remiss if I didn't, in this day and age of baseball, and that we're seeing with the revelations of HGH and steroids, how do you tell your young players, hey, you know what? Yes, maybe these, maybe some of these guys did take uh, did take performance enhancing drugs, but you don't need to do that. You should not do that to for the for the for the respect towards the game and to make sure that you go on to that next level. It's hard because they see these guys, they know guys are taking it, and they wonder what's the big deal. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the, the question I get a lot, and I tell them, I you know, I said. Uh, you know, I played the game straight for 20 years, and, and part of being a really good player is you're going to have those days where you feel like crap. You know, you're going to have those days where your legs aren't good or your arm is hurting or whatever, and mentally you got to be able to get past that and do what you do. Now, um, I played in an era that, unfortunately, I think is going to be looked back upon as a steroid era. Yeah. And some of my numbers are going to are going to look unfavorably on upon my career because for 13 years I was a 329 hit 329 hitter who thought I knew all there was to know about hitting and then I had a conversation with Ted Williams and all of a sudden I found out some more and yeah. I took that advice and I turned the last 7 years of my career and I went from 329 to 338 but if I remember correctly, the power numbers went down, right? No, the power numbers went up. Oh, they did. Yeah, they did. Everything went up. Now, when you say power, you go from five to ten. Uh, yeah, okay. Let's, let's remember, <laughs> I think what your career best was, what, 15 or 17 home runs? Yeah, so, you know, the numbers aren't going to really blow anybody away. But, you know, people who saw me play here in the last ten years, you know, they're going to remember what type of player I was. But in the next 50, when they look back on it, you know, who knows how people are going to perceive those numbers? So, you know, and I tell them, you know, I, I I played it straight. I'm proud of what I was able to accomplish. I hope that you will, too, feel good about what you do because it's you. But, you know, I'm, as far as them being in college, you know, I have a little bit of control. We have testing at, at the college level, and you're able to kind of stay on top of things, you know, you always talk about these supplements and talk sure. about these things that guys are taking. We have to have them cleared through our trainer in, at San Diego State. But, you know, there, there's always going to be people who are going to try to cross that line. And the great thing now is at least they have tested and they're able to test for some of this. Yeah. Stuff. But now this HGH stuff just kind of throws another monkey wrench into things. But, again, you're always going to have those guys trying to, you know, trying to 
cross that line. If they feel like they can get away with it, they're going to try to cross that line. And 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 when they get caught, there's a penalty that has to be paid. And yep. So at least they have that. I'm not one to really. I'm not one who thinks that there should be asterisks by numbers and stuff. I just think you just label it the steroid era. I agree with you. Let people think what they want to think about it, and let's move on. We're, you know, we're because the game today is a different game than the game I played. You know, just five years ago. So uh, these players are evolving. They're working at their craft. They're bigger. They're stronger. They're faster. And I enjoy it because I think uh, um, the last, I would say, the last ten to fifteen years. This is, people have recognized that this is a sport you have to work full time on. You can't just do it like the old days where you go to spring training, get in shape, and then go play. It's not like that anymore. It's a year round thing. Guys are really working at the craft. Videos everywhere. You know, you got guys watching at bats on iPods. Now. Sure, sure. So you know th- those those avenues to make yourself a better player are out there, and a lot of guys are diving head first into, and I think it's great. Talking to Tony Gwynn on the fellows, and Tony, I, I'm not going to ask you anything about names or players or anything like that. I mean, don't don't worry about that. What I'm curious to know, you know, you played the game for 20 years. How did the game change from day one to the last day in terms of the players? When things became more pressure filled, when perhaps you know different things started to work into the environment, how did the game change over that period? Uh, that's a really good question, and since I've retired, I think I think about that a whole lot more than I did when I was playing. Because when you're playing, you're kind of you're lucky in a sense because you only have to take care of you. Yeah, you're also caught up in that moment of a, of yeah, everything you, too. You don't have to really worry about what somebody else is doing. You, your your whole game plan is to figure out what you need to do and work hard at trying to. Once you figure it out, you work hard at trying to keep it. Uh, but looking back on my career, I think you know first few years of my career, it was just really all about establishing myself and trying to get to that point where I felt like I belonged. And then from about the middle 80s to the early 90s, to me it was about trying to get better, trying trying to actually get better at my craft. But somewhere in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a sentiment that something's going on here. Hmm. Guys yep. are starting to do things that you know we hadn't seen in the game. And, and then from about the middle 90s to the time I retired, I think, I think for the most part, lots of people knew that there was stuff going on, but there wasn't any real way to, to tell, you know. Sure. Guys were mumbling under their breath. Press was mumbling under their breath. I even think baseball people were mumbling under their breath. They had their thoughts. They had their suspicions, but they kind of kept it to themselves until this thing blew. And then when Conseco's book came out, um, there were lots of doubters. Sure, sure. Initially, absolutely. what he said, but I think people who played the game, especially if you played the game as long as I played it, you kind of thought that, hey, you know, there might, there probably is some truth to that. Tony, as a player, did you resent these guys that you thought were using? At first I did. I, I think I did, but when I, when I really think about it, I, I, again, I just, I knew I couldn't do what some of these guys were doing. Okay. I, home runs wasn't my game, so I didn't really focus on it. You know, it just, it just wasn't a part of my game, and I wasn't really so concerned that, you know, somebody's hitting more home runs than me or whatever because everybody did, you know. And so I, I just kind of got locked into what I was doing, like I said. But, 
you know, Ken Caminey played on my team. Absolutely. I worked, I worked with him every day. I took extra batting practice with him every day. And I saw how hard he worked at his craft, and I just figured that he's having this kind of success because he's working hard at his craft with no idea that he was taking steroids. Yep. So, uh, uh, again, when you're playing, you kind of get tunnel vision, and then when you retire, you have a chance to kind of reflect and look back on all the stuff that's happened. And I, I just, you know, the steroid era was just, what it was, it's an error. The guys were, guys must have been trying to do it, and it wasn't just hitters. I think it was pitchers, and you know, you just, you just dealt with it. You know, there wasn't anything you could do about it, so you just went and played, and you tried to be the best player that you could be. Hey, Tony, we had Paul Blair on earlier in the show, the great outfielder from the Orioles back in the '60s and '70s, and we asked him this question. We asked him, you know, are you happy with the state of the game today? And I mean, you're a very recent graduate, so to speak. You know, unlike Paul Blair. Are you happy with the state of baseball today? Right now, I am. I think we're headed in a more positive direction. I think, uh, obviously, you have some things that still have to be dealt with. Um, you know, what are we going to do about this HGH? Uh, how are we going to, is there going to be a test for it? Um, you know, other than that, I think you look at the game, the game itself is good. Uh, I think the American League has, has dominated play here, not only in the All-Star game, but in World Series here the last few years. Do you like the uh, All-Star game meaning home field? No, for, no. no. Okay. No, I, I don't like the fact that the World Series is determined on who wins the All-Star Okay. Game. But I, I I do like the fact that uh, uh, if it makes it a competitive game, if players feel like it's, you know, it makes it competitive, then so be it. I think that's good, but I don't really agree with the, with the other part. But um, I think the state of the game is pretty good. Fans are coming out in record numbers. Uh, lots of interest on TV. Uh, you know, you have different avenues now to to enjoy a major league game. You can watch it on TV. You can hear it on your on on your computer. They've got NBA, MLB.com and just all kind of avenues to watch games. And people are watching, and I think that's good. But um, the focus, everybody focuses in on the negative. Yeah. But I think in the big picture, I think the game is headed in a positive direction. More kids are playing it now than ever before. Hey, I got to ask one last question before I, one last question for me before we kind of let you go. Uh, Tony, I know that uh, you were on two World Series teams, 1984, 1998. How, I, you know, it's, it's, it, I feel bad for the fact that the Padres, who took who took so long to go between? They ran into two buzz saws of teams. The first in 1984 against the Tigers, yeah. who coasted the second half of the season, and then of course the '98 Yankees, who set all sorts of records for wins in the regular season. Yeah. I, both of those both of those Padre teams were very good. Which one was the better one, and and how resentful are you the fact that the two times you go, you face two of the great teams to play in the modern era? Oh, it's, it's funny because that '98 team, I think, is the best Padre team that's ever been in existence and you know and we would happen to play probably who a lot of people considered the best team of all time <laughs> yeah exactly and, uh, and as good as our team was it, it, it when i look back on that series we had swept four games and then and i look back on that series they're the only team they made you they made you throw strikes if you didn't throw strikes they would take walks they pitched it. They caught it. They base ran. They just were a great, great team, and, and you know, better team won. They they beat us four in a row. But um, in the '84 team, the Tigers started the year thirty-five and five, uh, exactly, and coasted <laughs> the second half of the season. Man, yeah, what are you what are you going to do? But I wouldn't trade those two experiences for anything. You know, the Tigers 
Uh, having a chance to play at Old Tiger Stadium and and face those guys, that was great. Uh, going to Yankee Stadium and playing, you know, in the biggest stage in the world and in, in the Big Apple, that was great. Even though we lost four in a row, um, and so for me, I look back on my career and have an opportunity to play in two World Series and feel thankful because there's lots of guys who've never had the opportunity at all. But uh, sometimes that's just the way it goes, you know. I mean, sure. we worked hard and we got there, and unfortunately, we. We're, we're in my years. We were one and eight in the World <laughs> Series, but it was uh, it was a great experience. Well, Tony, we definitely enjoyed the experience of getting to watch you play. And I know that you're in Pittsburgh this weekend for the All Star Game, and and you're doing some work for DVT. Yeah, you you had mentioned Paul Blair. He too is uh, is doing some work. When in 1997, I had a blood clot in my in my right leg, and, and like I was telling you guys, I was really focused on playing, and yeah. I really didn't. Really didn't pay as much attention to it as I should have, and and once I retired, you start to do some research on it. And um, in my case, in my case, it was like a knot in my calf, and it turned out to be a blood clot. And you know, I ended up going on thinners and uh, having a problem taken care of. But um, I, you, know, you come to find out that two hundred thousand people wow uh, die a year because of complications from blood clots. And the unfortunate thing with Paul Blair, his son. Being a victim of DVT, oh, it's unbelievable. And so, some of us are, you know, we wanted to get involved and and let people know about the risk factors, uh, which are, you know, getting older, uh, hip or knee surgery, cancer, chemotherapy treatment, in some cases, a heart and respiratory disease, uh, and even pregnancy. Um, These could be risk factors for you. And so, um, you know, go to your doctor. Have your doctors check it out. In my case, I was lucky because, like I said, I was focused on playing, uh, but he was focused on the big picture and yeah. got me the kind of treatment that I needed to take care of it. Um, and in good, in most most cases, you know, it can it can be uh, prevented, and then that's why we're here. That's why we're talking about it. And so, when you see your doctor, uh, have him check to make sure that uh, things are okay. If there's questions you might have or or information that you're seeking, you can go to DVT. Dot net, and hopefully, uh, you know, there, there you can find some of the answers because if it's caught in time, the risk can be reduced in, in, in most cases. And so that was the case with me. And when I have this opportunity, I try to use my, what little celebrity I have left to try to help people. And so hopefully, uh, this can help some people out there who listen. Well, totally. Hopefully, uh, you'll be able to help somebody in our audience tonight. And as, as we say goodbye, I need a prediction from you. Who's going to win the All-Star game? Oh, the National League's going to win. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a National Leaguer, so, you know, I know we've lost like eight of the last nine or nine of the last ten, but hopefully this will be the one that they'll break through. Allegiance rests somewhere. Tony, thank you so much for joining us on The Fellas. All right, guys. Thank you. That was Tony Gwynn, who was an obvious thrill for us to speak with as big baseball fans, and we also feel incredibly lucky to have recorded that prior to his passing in 2014 at the age of 54. He died of cancer. Thank you again to SiriusXM for allowing us to share that with you. As I mentioned off the top, we'll be sharing other interviews from our old show, The Fellas, over the next few weeks as we get ready for Season 3 of No Wrong Choices. We'll launch that just after Labor Day. In the interim, we hope you'll explore some older episodes of No Wrong Choices that you may have missed along the way and encourage you to subscribe or follow us on your podcasting platform of choice and on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and now X by searching for No Wrong Choices. On behalf of Tushar Saxena and Larry Shea, I'm Larry Samuels. Thank you again for joining us. 
And remember, there are no wrong choices on the road to success. We learn from every experience.